Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So, this week on the podcast, we have the incredible John Dennehy. John is a creative producer and queer performer from Kildare, uh, from Leakslip. We're actually kind of neighbours. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time. We've met through our various exploits in the Dublin acting scene. Uh, John is a drag artist. Evoca Creation is their creation. And um, what a creation they are. Uh, unbelievable stuff. They've got a show coming up. Um, it, it, I really encourage you to check this one out because I've actually not got to see it in the flesh. But this show sounds unbelievable. And you can catch and I quote Avoca's big dirty queer cabaret on January 17th at 8pm in Drop Dead Twice uh, I think it's going to be unbelievable uh, we talk about it a little bit towards the end of the episode John's an amazing performer in general and uh, Avoca um, from the clips that I've seen so far is absolutely fierce uh, I, I actually can't believe I used the word fierce there I'm only saying that word um, because we're talking about drag queens but look there you go fierce is them uh, in terms of other work that John's got going on uh, they are working with the amazing uh, Ashling O'Mara Danielle Gallagher uh, Galligan and uh, Claire Munley on um, the Taking the Biscuits uh, debut uh, performance really of Nothing But A Toe Rag it was developed uh, at the Axis in Ballymun I should say a couple of years ago but this is their first full run of the show uh, it's in the first fortnight festival and it's running from January 7th to the 12th at 8pm and a matinee at 2.30pm at Smock Alley uh, as part of the amazing first fortnight festival so go and check that out I, I know I am uh, and that festival's just got loads of great stuff going on it's kind of a mental health uh, awareness festival but like I mean the work within it in terms of like just quality of uh storytelling and acting and everything is unbelievable uh, I got to see so many of my favourite shows via this festival so I can't wait to see nothing but a toe rag uh, as well as that John is working on In Our Veins by the amazing um, Bitter Like a Lemon uh, it's their debut uh, at the Abbey which is incredible to see um, you know what started as a small independent company just grow into this force of nature uh, they're now at the Peacock Theatre which is absolutely incredible I mean, we need to get out there and support them so that hopefully they get back in again and again and again because their work is brilliant and also to um say to the abbey hey look it's amazing to see you filtering artists through like more of this please so go and check them out there and there within our veins april 10th to 20th uh, as well as that john has worked um with the amazing camille lucy ross on the brilliant how to be angry and dummy uh, by the amazing morb productions at the dublin fringe festival in 2017 and most recently uh, interned with uh, the incredible this is pop baby so i mean as you can see john's uh, kind of footprints are all over uh, the city in terms of uh, cultural and artistic contributions and as an artist as an artist they're second to none so i really encourage you to get out there and check out especially january 17th the big dirty queer whatever the fuck it is it sounds absolutely unreal and i'm going to be there so go and check that out and uh, stay tuned to the end because we have a lovely chat about uh, that show in more detail and the way john talks about their work is kind of inspiring um we talk about it on the episode but you know when you hear someone um who just articulates themselves so beautifully about their passions um it's really amazing and john absolutely does 
that. Uh, in other news, guys, I've uh, got to be more updates about the Patreon page. Hoping to launch that next week. Uh, I am currently in New York, so if the intro sounds a bit weird and there are police sirens, that's why New York is a very dramatic city uh, and there are fire brigades and ambulances and police sirens everywhere. Uh, I'm coming home this week. We've had an amazing run of shows here. It's been super successful. We were over um, doing some shows for some talent buyers over here for this show that I'm part of. Uh, I can't say too much about it yet, but um, it's been a massive success. And I think it's fair to say that this show uh, will be on the road uh, into the States um, later this year and into next year. So um, stay tuned for more on that. Uh, I'm also very nearly finished writing uh, my third play, which is very exciting and a little bit stressful. And uh, life is is really good, actually. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this amazing episode with the brilliant John Denning. John Denny, you ready to play Personality Bingo? Hi, Tom Moran. I'm very excited. Okay. Let's do it. Sweet. Let's give it a go. So, a quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock. I've got 60 balls in here, and I've got 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper. Would you do me a favor and read out the five? Okay. So, I have eight. Yes. 31. Okay. 17. Right. 50. Excellent. And 29. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, do me another favor. Pick a sixth number of your choosing, something between one and 60 that's not already there. Uh, my lucky number, 33. 33? Yeah. Always been a lucky number? Always been a lucky number. The first audition I did for the local Panto and League Slip, I was number 33 and I got the part. So Excellent. It's always been my lucky number. Who did you play? I was uh, like child number two and it was Aladdin um, and it was kind of, it was like the early 2000s so like cultural sensitivity hadn't come into play yet so it was this sort of like oriental spin. Do you know what I mean? We were wearing these like silk pennies pajamas and like little uh, winged eyeliner. It was all just a bit ropey. Do you know? Um, yeah. But it was a different time, Tom. It was a different time. John, I played Aladdin like 18 months ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah, and it, you're not Middle Eastern, Tom. I, I really you're am. You're not. You're a blue-eyed, blonde-haired mead boy. Yeah. You know? Just wearing fake tan. Just... <laughs> That was literally it. So ropey. And I and I, I have to say, I, I really pull off fake tan. Do you? Yeah, yeah you I look better. Do you tan naturally? Uh, yeah, you I do. do. I do. I but just like, freckle and burn. But not my chest, you know what I mean? Right. Because I don't really go topless very often. Oh, fair. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So like, I need to tan that that bad boy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you'd be slapping on the Sally Hansen after your holidays just oh, to balance it all man, out. It was two spray tans a week. Two spray tans a week? Excuse you. Hello. I know. Somebody's bougie. Yeah, yeah. and like, you had to stand like this, like a kind of like a broken scarecrow. No, way, you have to wear like paper underwear. Paper underwear, yeah. Oh and there was this like six year old woman named Burn, and she was horny as fuck, man. Yeah. I swear to God. Like, she loved this is it. Burn Dawson. Yeah. <laughs> I know Burn. Oh, this is great. Oh, so, Burn personally spray tanned you. Yeah. yeah. I feel weird now that we, we no, know this person Burn's in common. Yeah. yeah. I know, she's amazing, and she's, she's very sweet. Look at me backpedal. She's amazing, she's very she's sweet. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, she didn't sexualize me once. At all. Uh, at Never. All. No, you felt completely respected, <laughs> autonomous. <laughs> You know, yeah. It is a really weird thing because you know sometimes that does happen where like where as a as a man you're sexualized and like it's just so not the same as when it happens to women because it happens like rarely to me yeah. and like even even recently I was uh, out at a at a, a nightclub and it was a, a gay night and I was just groped a lot, right. um, which doesn't like with, and it was weird though because someone I was telling um, a friend and they're like how did that make you feel and I was like I really didn't mind like I personally didn't mind even though I had an awareness that like oh, this is wrong and like yeah. you should not be doing that because like someone else would really mind but it was just that weird thing of like 
I don't know how it's it's just so not the same for that to happen to me because it very 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 rarely happens yeah. by like from a male perspective or a female perspective like people just don't touch me very yeah, often yeah, yeah. you know what I mean but if you're like a wim- like a woman in a nightclub like that's real common it's a, and it's a sign of danger like yeah. as a man you're less likely to be sexually assaulted not that men don't get sexually assaulted especially in, in queer spaces like that it happens a lot more than people think mm. but for a woman that's an immediate sign of danger mm. that's get out of here because you could be sexually assaulted you could be abused whatever might happen whereas for men you have that slight bit of security that you're probably going to be okay it's, yeah. un- it's unpleasant in the moment but you're probably going to be okay. Was this in the George? No, it wasn't. It was in um, a place called Farrier and Draper. Oh yeah, and yeah. I think on Sundays was it after it was Sunday Social is what it's called. Is that it's what like it's called? A, yeah, it's the after George. That is that's a sleazy spot. I, is it? That's a place where you where you go to people get groped there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of lawless. Do you know what I mean? It's like that under the underbelly, like the subculture, the gay scene. Like that's where it all comes out. Because the George is kind of like I, I remember mean, when I came out first. Like I thought the George was going to be this big wild like. You know, hedonistic orgy of a place that I'd walk into, but it's just a nightclub. Oh man, it's I'll just boys and girls kissing. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, yeah. The George is unreal, and the George is where I got the idea for personality bingo. No way. Yeah, it was funny. With this is all coming weirdly full circle now because yeah. the first time I was in the George was when I was doing Aladdin right. in the Helix, yeah. and they go there like once or twice during the run for the bingo night. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a panto thing. Every panto does one night in the, at the bingo. Yeah, uh, and it's like the bingo is amazing. Oh, it's gas crack. It's so fun. Gas crack. It's like yeah. the best night. Like I actually. Uh, Shirley Temple Bar is amazing. Oh, amazing! And like a cultural icon. Like I remember seeing them on TV when I was a kid, um, and it didn't it didn't all kind of register with me. But the fact that there was like a queer person in drag on RTE in like the nineties and two thousands is just astounding to me, considering how conservative Ireland actually is. But Shirley Temple Bar was like a Joan of Arc. Like she was out there right from the get go, being really visible. It's amazing, unbelievable. Yeah, and it's such a good night. And yeah, and I was like, this is bingo. This in in this context, bingo is so fun. Yeah. Is there any way I can do a version of this, like in something? And like I love podcasts, and I've done a podcast, uh, and like obviously my podcast is nothing like uh, the the bingo in the George, but yeah. but it was like that. It was just inspired by that that whole thing. I was like, this is great. How can really? we do this in some? Um. So yeah, but yeah, that was a it was a that's good to know though about the that that is like the underworld of like gay Dublin. Yeah. So like Panty Bar and the George and. Street 66 are like your sort of standard gay bar. You're just going to have a normal night there. But then you have like Fire and Draper, Sunday Social. Um, I haven't really been to Mother much, but I think that's fairly like everything is above the board. But there's Sweatbox as well. Sweatbox and Daddy are two other nights. Um, and I've been to Sweatbox once um, and I very innocent, innocently walked in. I kind of knew it was going to be a bit cagey, maybe. But I was looking for the bathroom and I walked straight into the dark room. Just people having sex. All around me. And like, I'm not a prude. I'm pretty sex positive, but I was not expecting that. And like, it was downstairs beside uh, Turk's Head. Um, It's like a a, a basement uh, discotheque, as the French would say. Um, But yeah, it's wild. It's really wild. It's mad. Because like, I so don't associate nights out in Dublin. Like, I went interrailing in the uh, the summer. And you know, you're in some of them, you know. Where'd you go? European cities. Well, the one I'm thinking of in particular, obviously, the first two I went to were Amsterdam and Berlin. Oh, yeah. Which are obviously. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, 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 and like that's just not like my vibe. I'm not like a drug person. Right. I don't like uh, I like I absolutely like will drink. But if I'm drinking, like I'm as happy drinking in like an old man bar or a house as I am anywhere. Exactly. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um. So it was just, but it was really in, and it was really good actually to be because I I I'm very sex positive as well. But like in a I and but I was talking to this about someone recently. I don't know. In my head, 
I, I think we were actually talking about porn, me and this person. And yeah. in my head, I was like, yeah, I, I think I'd like that. I think I'd like to, like, uh, that. I, I don't think I actually would. Like, because yeah. when I actually thought about it, I was like, well, what do you like about, you know, sex? And what do you like about your sex life? And it, and it, it's not, I don't think it is like, um, a, like a dark room or like, you know, loads of people that you don't really yeah. know. And like, like even just the, was it Sweatbox? One of them was Sweatbox, called, I just yeah. don't like that name. No, it's it's so <laughs> like, sleazy. That's, like, that's enough. It's so sleazy. Yeah. Uh, you had a good, you said something there and I was like, that would make a good like name for one of these places. You said KG maybe. Yeah, yeah. KG maybe. We can start oh, that one. That's good. That's really KG maybe. KG maybe with a question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Open ended. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So it can be like it can it can have really cagey elements, but then also like maybe something more like wholesome. Mm-hmm. So like a dark room, but also like a tea station mm. and like a, a meditation room or like an isolation tank or something like that. So you have a cagey and the maybe. Do you know? I love it. Yeah. All right, let's get it going. This is like the equivalent of me going to the George and finding personality bingo. Yeah. You come to my podcast. We've found we've our nightclub. Found a club night. Yeah. Amazing. We've set up a business. Right. We've been chatting for twelve minutes and not oh, a bingo no. ball. Not a bingo been... ball washed. Uh, and yeah. I... <laughs> That's watched. I should say that if all um, six-year numbers come out, including the magic thirty-three, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world. Oh, brilliant! Okay, right, great. We give it a spin. Let's give it a spin. Okay, here we go. First out the gate, we have number fifty-four. Do you have it? Uh, no, I don't. No worries. Number fifty-four. Who is? Mm, this is an interesting one because sometimes I leave blanks, you know, to uh, allow space for like whatever the guest does because you do a lot of different things like yeah. between like so like creatively I know you from like um producing obviously and um, the drag stuff yeah, now yeah. which is amazing so maybe this is a, a good maybe I, I kind of like to phrase it towards the drag I yeah think, go for it who is your favorite um drag artist to drag what is the what is the verb to drag to drag to do drag to do drag to get up and drag to get up and drag get up in the drags so my favorite drag artist. So it's kind of a it's a complicated question because I like a lot of different things. Um, so the main impetus for me doing drag was RuPaul's Drag Race. So that mm. was the first time I'd seen drag in its kind of full form, as it is for most people. Um, but I was never fully attracted to the style of drag that I saw there because um, it's very conventional sort of like binary system, men as women, or if you're a drag king, which aren't represented on Drag Race, that's women who do drag as men. Yeah. Um, and I was really attracted to some of the more alternative drag queens on that, like Sharon Needles, who won season four, and Jinx Monsoon, who's like a Broadway queen, who's just an absolute kook and just brilliant and really out on her own. Um, but my impetus for actually starting drag and to get up and do it was when I saw, and I, I hadn't seen them perform yet, but I'd seen photos and I kind of heard the lore, was Mangina Jones, right. so Keena Bryan. Um, and it was the first time I'd seen drag that wasn't necessarily like pretty and polished. He was bearded, wearing like caftans and turbans and stuff like that. I just immediately identified with that. I was like, that's somebody who isn't just kind of playing with gender. They're really fucking with gender. They're like turning it on its head um, and totally doing it their own way. So from that then, I kind of started to research the alternative queer scene a little bit more. Um, I found amazing artists like Legato Chocola, who's like a cabaret drag artist and is really alternative as well. Like David Hoyle. Um, there's an amazing drag performer called Christine, who I'd recommend everybody uh, Google. So it's Christine, but with two E's. So C-H-R-I-S-T-E-E-N-E. Um, and they are just mental. They're like, aesthetic is like really dirty and grubby and weird like they're from the dust and the dirt and they're just the absolute like antithesis of that really glamazon pure polished um glamour drag that say rupaul and those sort of drag queens do um so i have a lot of i have a lot of artists that i drag artists that i might i admire but mangina jones is like number one yeah yeah and i got to see them perform recently at a 
their Mangina Jones big Christmas night. I can't remember what it was called. It was a huge big title anyway, but it was amazing. They're amazing. Uh, so do you remember on X Factor a few years ago when Alexander Burke won? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the finale of that, they had like a celebrity guest on to sing with each of the people and she had Beyonce and they sang Listen. Uh, so Mangina started the show lip sync and Listen. I was like, what version of Listen is this? Like, I don't really recognise it. And then after the first couple of verses, they went into, they, like the lip sync went into like, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome my hero, Beyonce. And then Panty came out <laughs> and lip synced the rest. Uh, amazing. Like, wow. so amazing. I got to go to Panty's 50th birthday as well. Really? Yeah. Um, so I just did an internship with This Is Pop Baby. Um, and I hadn't got an invite, but um, Dean Malloy is a really lovely producer who works for Pop Baby. Uh, we just went out for a cigarette one day and they were talking about the party. I was like, oh, are you talking about Panty's party? Kind of angling a little bit, but not really. Uh, but she offered me her plus one. Um, and it was the most amazing night. It was incredible. Uh, and I got to go back to Panty's gaff. I, had an afters in, I was back at an afters in Panty's gaff. And I left my jacket behind. <laughs> um, and I thought I'd left it in the venue. I was, I was really drunk that night. I thought I'd left my jacket in the venue. Um, and I was sure it was gone because I checked the venue and it wasn't there. And then I was down in Cork doing a drag show, um, my first national tour as mm. a vocal reaction. It was very exciting. And literally, I went out for a smoke before I went on and literally 15 minutes before I got a Facebook message off Panty Bliss saying, I think I have your jacket, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is just like fate. Do you know what I mean? It was amazing. Really wow. amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's am- and so when did you start the drag stuff? I started doing drag. My first performance was last March at DCU Drag Race. So prior to that, I'd spent like two full years in my head just meticulously planning exactly how I'd, how I'd do it and I'm sure you can relate to this it's like when you're making your own work or you're doing your own writing or whatever it's really hard to push go mm-hmm. do you know um, especially when you, you care about what you want to do and you want to make it as good as you possibly can um, but yeah I'd spent like two years like planning it um, but I'm glad I did because I kind of I got my story straight I kind of knew who Evoca was and what I wanted to do with it and sort of have a I now have a plan in place for where I want to go um, but yeah, the first performance was at DCU Drag Race. Um, and for a first performance in drag, I was really proud of it. Because I mean, there's this thing that when you go out and drag first, you're going to be really messy and busted and crap, basically. Uh, but because I'd worked, been working creatively for a while, I was able to kind of build a little team around me. So mm. I had amazing costumes, maybe an amazing designer called Kyle Sheldon Barnett. He's incredible. Give him a call. Um, I had like Dunico D and Camille come in and give me a hand with like lip syncing and choreography and all that sort of stuff. And Camille did my makeup for us. Um, it was just—it was a really magical experience. I didn't win, but I was in the top three, so I, wow. I, I'm going to say I was second place. Yeah. Personally, I I'm taking second place for myself. Absolutely. Um, but that was a really, really magical night. It was really special. Yeah. Yeah. It it is it is it um, hmm, uh, when you were talking about it because it's so interesting. You know, when someone talks about something and like drag is something I don't really know about. Although mm. every time I go and see a drag show, I'm like, this is unreal. Yeah, it's great. Um, but. It's amazing how when someone talks about something like with passion, how yeah. infectious that is. Yeah. Like you ever like meet someone or you're on a date with someone and they start talking about what they do and they could be a fucking doctor or something. My favorite thing. And then you just start like, even if you're like in no way in love with them, but you start to fall in love with their passion. Completely, yeah. I was at a party recently and I was just chatting to a friend of a friend I hadn't met her before. And I was just like, oh, what do you do? Kind of casually. And she's a neuroscientist and doing really important work for neuro, like uh, neuros, neuroscientific research. I just got so excited about it. Mm-hmm. And like she couldn't believe how excited I was about that. But that the people's passion is so exciting. It really it's is. It's really exciting. What it was comparable, and it's funny that we're talking about this because when you were talking about that, I was trying to, you know, as we do, like relate it to myself. Yeah. And like about probably like 18 months ago, two years ago, I got like, I started doing stand-up comedy, right? Did you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No and, and, and kind of comparably to what you were saying, I'd been thinking about it a lot because I love comedy and I love stand-up comedians. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I've surrounded myself in a lot of it, like by a podcast and stuff and like watching stand up or whatever. Yeah. But like that I hadn't done it, but I had like a lot like a lot of performance skills and I had writing skills and I kinda knew I knew I like I didn't while I was a complete newbie, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like a new newbie. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. Um and like what you were saying, I kinda had my idea of it straight and um but I I, I you know, it was a weird thing doing it because you go from like and even like I, I work with a lot of like comedians and I do like some YouTube work on like facts and like the Try channel and oh, stuff yeah, like that yeah, I think that's so, it. so it, like that's comedy in its own way like this podcast has moments of comedy whatever the fuck it is mm-hmm. but it's a weird thing then like coming out and being like because I do a stand-up comedy gig, now I am a comedian. Yeah. Now, like... The and you're kind of like, is that something I add to my bio? Is that something I want right. to brand myself as? And especially for you, like, as an as an actor-actor, um, like, would you ever be worried about that having an effect on it? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, yeah, it's really important kind of how you brand yourself, isn't it? And how you market yourself because people will think of you more as a comedian or more as an actor, you know, because one could affect the other. Sure. Yeah. And, and I was wondering that, like, especially within the context of, like, how synonymous, like, drag is with the gay community. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the whole journey of whatever your journey is, as coming out as a, like, as a gay person, mm-hmm. then to coming out as a drag artist. Like, yeah. are they comparable things or is that a silly um, line no, to draw? No, it's, it's definitely not silly. And I think that's, it's a, it depends on the individual person. Um, but especially for, it's difficult for family. Um, because I think, especially like people of say our parents' generation, I imagine our parents are around the same age, mm-hmm. um, that they don't know what drag is. They don't understand what drag is. And if they do have an understanding of drag, it's probably a really sort of reductive, sort of minimalized version of what drag can be. Um, so it, yeah, it took me a while to tell my parents about that. Um, and com- coming out initially was pretty hard in general. Um, I never had that official kind of like sit down conversation with my family. It kind of happened in little drips and drabs. Um, and something I find really interesting about coming out is people talk about it as this sort of like one time, like you open and close a door process. But you have to come out all the time as a queer person. Mm. Every new person you meet, you have to kind of clarify. Um, so it's this kind of unfolding process that sort of happens through your life rather than being sort of a singular event, which people kind of understand it as. Like once you're out, you're out. But it actually, it happens all the time. And I find uh, as a bisexual person and as a non-binary person, I'm always having to clarify things. I'm always having to answer those questions. Um, even though I try and make it as visible as possible, like I have my pronouns in my bio and Instagram and stuff like that just for visibility, but also so people know and I don't have to, like, it's not wasted time, but it's time spent not getting to know actual me. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like if we were to sit here and I had to talk to you about your heterosexuality before I got to know you, so that's time kind of, I don't think it's time well spent, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sort of the world we live in. It's coming out as this weird pressure that's put on uh, queer people. Um, and I have a, a lot of very strong opinions about it um, because I feel that coming out isn't really for the queer person. It's for the straight people around them. So it's this sort of like, I'm letting you know, so I'm hope you're, I hope you're cool with it and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, so you know. Do you know what I mean? But it's actually, sexuality is a really private thing. Um, your sex life is a really private thing, but when you're a queer person, there's this expectation that that has to be really public, and really out in the open. And I feel the intention for that is sort of misplaced um, and that queer people have to sort of explain themselves rather than just sort of state the case because you don't have to come out as a straight person. You don't have to announce that. Mm-hmm. That pressure doesn't exist, um, which is unfortunate because everybody either assumes you're on this binary system of, of gay or straight Um it's a difficult one. It's like the, the LGBTQIA plus letter structure system. Huge issues with that because I feel, again, 
that's not for queer people. That's for straight people to understand and categorize queer people so they feel more, quote unquote, comfortable mm -hmm. with you as a queer person. They can say, oh, you're a lesbian, you're bisexual, you're gay, you're transgender. Um, whereas I prefer to use the term queer as sort of a catch-all term uh, because I've never felt like I fit fully into any of those letters mm. officially. And I kind of thought when I came out, it would be this like land of milk and honey and I'd feel so accepted and so free. But you really just move from one sort of very narrow social construction to another. So when you go from, I came out as bi, but everybody was like, no, you're gay. That's fine. You're gay. You're gay. That's grand. You're gay. And for me, it's like, if people want to categorize me that way, that's fine. Because that's none of my business. Do you know what I mean? That's their perception. And my perception of me is the most important one to me. Um, but yeah, with the, the kind of LGBTQ letter system, it's again, it's it's constrictive, constricting. Um, and it's. It forces you to, to either fulfill or reject stereotypes. So like if you say you're a gay person, people go, oh, you love Britney or Madonna or and you love shopping and your life is like Queer Eye and you toss your hair like Jonathan Van Ness every time like your clunky straight friend wears tan and heels going, yes, queen. That's just not who I am. Do you know what I mean? And part, part of that is probably like a conscious rejection of those stereotypes because as someone, I was bullied for my sexuality and for my size a lot as a kid. Um, and I have this need as an adult to be like an originator. Um, I tend not to like stuff that kind of the zeitgeist is into. And I always just thought, I'm like, I'm just a fussy, awkward person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really watch film and TV. I'm not really into all that stuff. I like kind of alternative music and things like that. But I think it comes from being labelled and being bullied and being told what I was so consistently as a kid that when I came into myself, it's like nobody is ever going to tell me who or what I am again. Do you know, I have that real determination to kind of to defy those conventions mm. yeah it's so interesting because like what you're saying i so relate to it mm. um because like, sorry I, re I relate to the the straight people you're talking about because even when you said there that you identify as non-binary yeah I, I would consider you a friend i didn't actually know that right and i didn't know i i don't actually know what your pronouns are that you yeah, use yeah, on yeah. Instagram. and it's so funny because my immediate instinct was to be like oh my god have i offended yeah you know yeah, have i yeah, offended yeah, john yeah, yeah. and and not even and not even in the case of like i hope i haven't hurt his feelings it's like I hope I hope he doesn't think less of me. Exactly. Because you automatically, you know, we're all seeing everything through our own lens all the time. Totally. So I make it all about me, which is so frustrating. <laughs> which we all do, though. We I all know. totally do. Um, and I, I love, I, I just love when people ask. That's the main thing. Yeah, um, can I ask you now? Of course you can. Yeah. Yeah, so about pronouns. Mm -hmm. So I've been, like, I was raised male. I was born male and I was raised as a man. So I've been using he pronouns my whole life. I would like to transition into using they, them pronouns. But then, and this is kind of a tricky thing to say because I know for some people, pronouns are really important, particularly the transgender community, using the wrong pronouns. And it's called dead naming people. When you call somebody by their old name before the transition, it's called dead naming. So pronouns are very important. I'd like to preface this with that. But for me, pronouns personally are kind of arbitrary. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't define my gender. That doesn't define my identity. So if you want to call me he, she, they, it, it doesn't really matter. But kind of from a political sort of sociological point of view I would prefer if people started using they them pronouns if they can if it comes to mind and like I'm personally I will never be offended by that mm -hmm. because I understand that the world isn't geared that way it's not the society we come out we've come from and this is something that's completely brand new shampoo and I think people need to remember and especially people who are resistant to these things like the, I call it the gender revolution that's mm -hmm. happening next things are being completely turned on their heads and there's a lot of resistance from the the cisgendered straight community 
Um, but that everybody's learning. Do you know what I mean? Everybody's on, on a journey to kind of understand these things more and to break down these social constructs. It's like with Waking the Feminists or with moving towards um, men being more open with their, straight men being more open with their emotions and being more sort of um, open to sensitivity and mm. kind of trying to bring male suicide suicide rates down. Um, I saw a really interesting t- statistic recently that depression rates are higher in young women, but suicide is higher in young men because women are trained from the time they're small to be open and sensitive and talk about their feelings. So technically women are more depressed, but men are committing suicide because we have this toxic culture where men aren't given the space to express themselves. Um, but the way I feel about it, and the, the fairy tale of New York fiasco is really difficult. Um, it's really difficult to watch un- unfold online, and there's been a lot of stuff since then about, like, say, Santa. People want Santa to be gender neutralized, and people want Manchester to be renamed Peoplechester. Um, but which, and this is the thing, and I would like to make this very clear if you only take one thing away from this podcast, listeners, that that is not trans and non binary people that are calling for that. It's outrage tactics being used by the right wing and by the media to try and get clicks. It's clickbait. So I have loads of trans and non-binary people on my feed, from friends, from pages. I have never seen one person call for Santa to be gender neutralised. That's literally the media using outrage tactics to try and rile the right, to try and undermine, which is disgusting to me because we're already a really marginalised group. Um, But the way I feel about it, it's like, say, Censor and Fairy Tale in New York it's difficult because I love that song. Sure. That's a song of my childhood. Like, it's a belter and it's a beautiful, it's a really orchestral, like, symphonic, gorgeous song. Um, but that word is not tolerable. That is hate speech. It's a slur. And it's a word that has been that was used against me for years. It was a word that, it, it would be a really triggering word. Um, and to see a club full of mostly straight people, not only belting that out and roaring that word, but in good fun mm-hmm. and in good jest, it's just so in the wrong place and context. Like, if you're writing, say, a, a play or a song or a film about homophobia, that word would have a place in it because it's in its context. And for the time, do you know, that song was written in the 80s when homophobia was, it was grand, basically, do you know, it was, it was normal. Um, we haven't, we hadn't had the proper kind of gay civil rights movement, like Stonewall had happened, but things hadn't really progressed yet. Um, so at the time, understandably, like I didn't agree with people attacking Shane McGowan personally for using that word, because as a man of his time, as a song of its time, that word has its place there. But in the modern context, like my point during it was, if that was the N-word in that song, or you know any any other major slur, it never would have got airplay. Mm-hmm. It would have been pulled years ago, and there wouldn't be a debate about it. So I was I was all all for it being censored, um, even though that's it's jarring because I, I love that song. But the way I think about it is that it's like the people getting angry about the idea of things being gender neutralized is I don't think we can move backwards necessarily. I don't think we can undo any of the language that we've had or that we use currently. All we can do is add on. Do you know what I mean? And I feel kind of weird about they, them pronouns um, because we already use they in the English language to refer to the plural. And grammatically, I can't remember the exact kind of grammatical signs of it. Grammatically, it is correct to use they. It's grammatically correct to use they. But it's jarring on the ear. It sounds weird. Um, So I'd love if we slash I or anyone could kind of coin a brand new pronoun that we could use. I mean, like in, I think in Scandinavia, they've started using gender neutral pronouns. I know in Sweden, uh, the all Bibles have been reprinted to refer to God in gender neutral terms. Really? Yeah. Mm. And they've created a new one that doesn't exist already in, in their language. It's a brand new pronoun. I can't remember what it is. Um, but I think it's all about moving forward. Um, and anybody who is arguing for the case that, you know, gender, gender neutralizing things is undoing any sort of any of the sort of fabric of society, uh, I think is just really dangerous kind of bigoted talk.
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's so interesting because I've been like as you said, it's been in the media the like the F word in that song mm-hmm. so much at the moment. And I was trying to think about like my thoughts on it because as you said, like there was the you know, the angle of people, you know, personally saying like, you know, fuck you, Shane McGowan for all this and he yeah. I don't know if you saw I'm sure you saw his statement being like, Well, this isn't like what I think. This is not yeah, like none of what I think. It was I really well worded. It was re- I thought I thought it was so really too. eloquent. Yeah, but surprisingly I, so it's prejudice, but I kinda of wouldn't have thought he'd be that eloquent. Yeah, no yeah. for sure. And um and like I was you know Again, as always, filtering it through myself, and I was like, you know, I'm sure pretty much any lad of our generation, like regardless of sexuality, was called the f word. Oh, yeah. We also and and, and gay, was, yeah, was just a word for anything yeah, bad when absolutely. we were younger. The yeah. same way, you know, like you know, um, like the or word in terms yeah. of like, we, can't stand we, it. We, we don't do that now. We we yeah. don't do that now. But like up until, man, what like probably like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. You know, basically until they left school, yeah. like they, they were commonplace, really commonplace. But like, what's so important is like most of the people who were who were kind of like, oh, like who cares? Like, it's like I could be called the f word, and while it was not nice because like we knew what the implication was, it's like you are less than exactly. But at the same time, there's like, and it goes back to the same thing we talked about at the very start about like, you know, if I get groped in a club, okay, it might make me uncomfortable. It might not. It doesn't really matter. It's not the same if I get groped as if a woman gets groped because it does mean different things societally totally the same way if I get called the F word that's fine like I don't like it it's I, offensive it's offensive it's meant with malice yeah but yeah it wouldn't have the same it doesn't effect. and like to pretend that it does and so when you have to like it's just like even in this podcast I'm very conscious of like you know and, and this isn't a thing but it's like it's very important what, what's so lovely about talking to you John is that you were um, I think sometimes you know people can feel when when they're talking about these things that they're not that they're not like comfortable because I'm not 100% comfortable talking about it especially when you know people are going to be listening and yeah. you, you don't like I come from a place of love most of the time where I don't want to make anyone feel less than yeah, you yeah. know so but there's a real what's lovely about talking to you is that like um while you're also saying like no pronouns are important they absolutely are mm-hmm. but you I feel like you're teaching me you know what I mean yeah. and it's coming from a nice place and if I fuck up which I I'm going to like I always would try not to but yeah. if I do that it's like like we need space to learn that's it we need space to learn the biggest thing i would say to people is that if you're unsure just ask it's it's better than assuming and it's better than sort of beating yourself up because if if you'd say use the quote unquote wrong pronoun for me that wouldn't have affected me that much but you could go home and beat yourself up about that that could be in your head for ages and that would never be my intention I come from the same place as you where I don't want anyone else to feel less than either and I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and um, I think the best thing people can do is just ask I love it when people ask me about pronouns or what non-binary is or you know what being bisexual or pansexual means do you know what I mean um because the expectation I feel is, or we all sort of expect that we should know these things. If we don't know, we're less than, or we're a bad person, or we're inconsiderate. Right. But we're not. We're not born knowing these things. Do you know? We, we're not born with an understanding of sexuality or of gender or any of those things. That's what it's formed over the course of your life. Um, so yeah, I think I think asking questions and any non-binary person or any queer person who's comfortable in themselves will be comfortable enough to answer your question. Yeah. And if you ask in a like you're a, a really kind, polite person, so I don't think you're, it's going to be very difficult for you to cause offence to anyone. I don't anyway. think so. No, I don't do you think know? so. Yeah, but uh, I think if you're if it's coming from the right place, do you know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. As long as there's respect there, I think respect is a huge thing. I've had people ask me about it before, and it's I could just sense that there was a sense of disrespect. They're trying to catch me out, or you know, oh, yeah. I, I, that's it's just it's really jarring because like I've no I've no time for that. I've no time for disrespectful people in general, but especially when it's something that personal. Um, and something that I find as a queer person is that people can be quite invasive. 
do you know people feel because they don't understand that they can kind of ask you anything mm. which they can't you can't do that to anyone like you have to have there has to be a certain level of mutual respect before you start talking about somebody's personal life you know you have to just be a level of trust before you start talking about somebody's personal life so jumping right in with really big questions I'd never advise anyone to do obviously but if you're unsure, just seek clarity. And Google's a great resource, do you know? Like, where you can all whip out our phone and figure it out. So if you don't feel comfortable enough or you're too shy to ask somebody, just Google it, yeah. do you know? Yeah. yeah, I love it. Right, let's give it a spin. Yay! Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> we talked for so long, the bingo machine just it's broke itself. Yeah. All right, number 15, do you have it? Number 15, no. No worries, number 15. Oh, from uh, from one end of the spectrum to the other, what are your memories of 9-11, pal? <laughs> oh, right. My, this... <laughs> This is a very selfish memory. This is terrible. But my abiding memory is that that day, a guy in my class was having a birthday party and I wasn't invited. <laughs> That's probably the most self-centered thing I've ever said. Uh, but no, I remember I remember going home and it was on TV, on Sky News. You can still see the TV. Um, and I have uh, an aunt who lives in New York with her family and her husband was working something like six blocks away from the Trade Centre when it came down. So he was, he was just, he was safe, thank God. But um yeah, it really threw things into a spin. There's a lot of anxiety in my house because it's just that idea of America going to war. The The clearer memory I have was a few weeks later when America retaliated. And that was panic stations because it was like, America's going to war. Joni's over there. Like, it's going to be... Uh, it was very scary. Very mm-hmm. scary time. Uh, but yeah, the actual 9-11, it was, it was Sean Hoey's birthday and I wasn't invited. Isn't that so, like, I, I kind of love when we can catch ourselves in those moments of, like, when context is just shoved into your face. Oh, totally, yeah. You know what I mean? When, yeah. when like, you, you, like it's so useful sometimes because, like, obviously the story we're all living through is, like, so, like I've said a couple of times here, I don't know why that's, like, on my brain, but yeah. just, like, you're filtering everything so much through yourself that when something, like, literally pulls you out and being, like, no, like, look, a man literally jumped off a building because he knew he was going to die and yeah. he wanted a choice of how yeah. his last few yeah. moments went. Like, something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and especially, like, as, like, because we're a really similar age, so, like, it was, it was a real formative time yeah yeah like, you we know, were what like 10 11 yeah something like that yeah I, like yeah so well, it was 2001, 2001. i yeah. think i was eight i think yeah yeah i was okay. eight i was born i can't do math so i was born in 93 yeah we're the same age okay, yeah. yeah you were eight. <laughs> eight you were eight or nine yes yeah yeah um but you, you, do you know what i mean like it's just and it was at that age of like yeah like it's so, like i kind of i wonder what it would have been like then for people who are a little bit older who remember more and maybe for people who are younger who remember less you yeah, know yeah. because it was at that weird like fuzzy age where i remember being told about it and i remember seeing the clips but like i don't know as anything happened in our lifetimes that is more like more um culturally significant, significant yeah yeah i'm not sure I'm just, i was just trying to think through like so say there was the tsunami mm-hmm. in was it sri lanka and I like this is again. This isn't a good thing, but I would say that that for me felt less culturally significant because it was further, further away. away and not in the West. Yeah, people yeah. with like it was people with different color skin or exactly. something. You know what I mean? Didn't speak my 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 language. Yeah, so it didn't have the same cultural impact. No, I'm trying to think what else. I suppose like the financial crash. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, like Trump and Brexit. It feels weird to say it because like it's not like costing literal lives in the way like thousands of people died in nine eleven. Yeah, but like in terms of like news coverage is probably comparable you know yeah 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 yeah. but that it was just an earth shattering event mm-hmm. it was huge like in a way it sounds kind of morbid but in a way i wish i'd been a bit older and been able to could feel the significance of it a little bit more mm. you know because i was more concerned with not being invited to a birthday party yeah <laughs> and do you remember what they were doing for the party it was in his gaff um right. and i can't remember the specifics but they were like he was they were everyone was kind of talking about a plan but it was like 
it was a small group that was invited and it was all like lads. So it was like the lad lads and I wasn't the lad lad. So yeah, yeah, I should have expected I wouldn't get an invite, but that's fine. Oh, isn't it cruel? Right, mm-hmm. let's give it a spin. Here we go. Number three. Do you have it? No. No worries. I'm no. losing hardcore. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we've I'll only never get to... to ask you anything. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll, I'll, all we'll your secrets from. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All my secrets. No one's done it, man. And it's been like, this is like 102. 102. 102. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah, so maybe 103. So like, Amazing. but no one's won. And like, they should have like, statistically. No one's won. No. Like, we've got, people have got to five. No one's got to six. That's bizarre. Yeah, and like, I don't mean to be rude, but you're definitely not going to do it. No, I definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I've like 20 minutes left. Um, right. And that's like, I'm going to give you one word answers. Yeah. All the rest I know. Just, I know. Yeah, that no. tactic doesn't no, even work. It's physically impossible. Um, okay. Who is one person who has helped you along in your career? Oh, okay. Does it have to be one? I'm going to say yes, because I, I, even from our chat so far, I can already tell that there's loads. But like, what was the first name that came into your head? The first name that came into my head isn't someone who directly con- there was loads of people who like literally took me by the hand and mm-hmm. it really really helped me and built me up as an artist but somebody who had a real influence was I went to St. Pat's in Drumcondra I studied primary school teaching for two years had a nightmare with it dropped out and then went back in and finished the degree through arts and I had a pretty rough time in Pat's it was a very conservative place and it was kind of like a big secondary school it was only about 2,000 people and it was very colloquial like all the Galway people hung out all the Roscommon people hung out like it was really segregated so it kind of felt like a big secondary school and I hated secondary school I was ready to just have that big university experience and had that bit of anonymity blah 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 so I had a really rough time in Pats wasn't enjoying it at all and then in the very last semester Marina Carr is writer in residence in Pats so I had her for creative writing and I had her for my thesis she supervised my thesis and having her really really inspired me really inspired me creatively professionally um, and she's just a really cool interesting like mystical mythical person and so like classically cool she's like James Dean she's yeah. like fucking cl- 50s like flipping a dime classically cool um, but a really open loving maternal person but also just on a completely different wavelength just tapped into a, a higher plane um, so just some of the she just dropped loads of little pearls of wisdom everywhere and they, they've they been really helpful and useful kind of career wise yeah yeah. She she is like one of the people who can change the temperature in a room like yeah. no one I've ever met yes. like she sat where you're sitting now and yeah. did an episode of this right and like um, you know it, it it was one of the it, not dissimilar to the like for say 20 minutes this, like it was one of them times where I was like right everything that John is saying is really interesting I just need to shut up and listen <laughs> and like let this come out like Marina Carr is, is exactly like that like all the time she just like, holds the room oh and she speaks so slowly and she's really forming her thoughts and she's just brilliant. I'll never forget this. She, um, I used to be a little swat and I'd go in early because I knew she'd be there from about 15 minutes beforehand. Mm. So I'd go in early, like just casually, casually dropping in early. Um, and one time we were talking about family. She's obviously, I think she's just really generally interested in family and family dynamics. You see it in her work. Uh, but she asked me about my family. I was talking about it and we got around to talking about me having kids and whether I wanted to have kids or not. I said, no, I don't really think so. I'm not sure. But at, the, at, the, at this point in time, I don't think so. And she just turned to me and said, really simply, she just said, no one loves you as much as your children. Blew me away. I still haven't recovered. That's like two years gone out. Still haven't recovered from that. Just like, oh, yeah. Whoa. No one loves you as much as your children. And did that change? Did that change? It, it made me think about it. Mm-hmm. I still haven't. I still don't know. Yeah. But it definitely, it made me think about it. Because it's a challenging thing. Because like what that, what she's basically saying is like, how much do you need love? Yeah. You know? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Like that's what, like that's what she's that's saying. Because like, if, if you're like, well, other people's love doesn't mean that much to me. And like, so then you're like, well, so kids are whatever. That Like that's not the context I'm choosing to view that in. Yeah, yeah. But if you're like someone who like, 
like and, and like for me like I I do like it's something I'm trying to work on but like ec- like love from other places makes me feel good me too yeah it does yeah. like it, it just it just does for that extroverted thing do you know it's getting that little bit of approval and that bit of totally yeah, like yeah it's yeah. the performerness probably yeah, in totally, loads of ways you totally, know totally. and it's just want it, that applause I, I know yeah I know yeah I, like I'm so <laughs> this is this is this is selfish now because I've been thinking about it recently. But are you familiar with love languages? No. Okay. So love languages. It's like I'm being nerdy with this, but I I must try and include it in one of the questions because I'm fascinated with it at the moment. Yeah. Love languages are the way that you give and you receive love. Right. Um. I, I don't know like how um like uh, so that's not just verbal language. It's like physical cues and stuff like that as well. So this is the thing. So there's five right that right. I know of. So I'm gonna do my best to relay them properly. There's um words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. There is physical touch. Mm-hmm. There is quality time oh. there yeah, yeah. Uh, there is um acts of service right and there is like gifts basically yeah yeah, yeah. they're the five and it, it's really interesting because i think like mine i can t- my, i know how i give and how i receive so how i receive it Definitely, because you don't need to pick one. I, I definitely have one, and quality time for me is really important. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like this podcast. I like sitting yeah. down with you and connecting and having a lovely chat. Yeah, yeah. And not being on our phone and literally just me spending and, time. And yeah. yeah. Like I, 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 that's what I had to reconcile with myself. It's like however much I love putting the podcast out and getting like your voice out to people who might know you, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and you know, people who might know me getting to meet me this way, whatever it is, like. It also feels really nice to sit down with you now and do this chat. Like that, yeah. that feels good. That really feeds me. You know, it's Same. really yeah. meaningful. Yeah. Um. But I also really like words of affirmation. Going back to what we were talking about. Yeah. You know? So if someone tweets something like they like this podcast, that makes me feel good. Or if someone says, "Gosh, you know, you were great in that play," or or like just "I love you," you yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah, all yeah. those things feel yeah. good. Um. And then yeah, so it's really whereas like gifts, like while I, I if I, I don't really respond great to gifts. But 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 when a gift is real thoughtful, like oh, it, yeah. you know, if someone uh, do you like gift giving? I love gifts. Same, same, yeah. yeah, I'm the same. But I'm not that hung up on receiving gifts. I much prefer someone's presence over presents. Totally. That's the way I feel <laughs> oh, about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, my dad asked me that recently, or at Christmas, like the other day. He was literally like, "What's the best gift you've ever gotten?" It mm. and like it sounds like an earnest thing to say, and I suppose it is, but it's also true. I was like, I can't remember any gift I received but I can remember my favourite gifts that I've given yeah and the feeling that's attached to that yeah 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 you know because um, I, I don't know about you but I'm, I'm just not that into material things generally no. I'm not all about having loads of things I'm about having loads of people mm-hmm. I need loads of people or else I'll wilt and die mm-hmm. but yeah material things like that receiving gifts I've had some like the really thoughtful ones you remember the really thoughtful ones the kind of the feeling attached to that person and mm-hmm. there's something about when someone's really thought about you do you know what I mean they've they've kind of gotten down to the nitty gritty of what you like or when somebody remembers something really throwaway that you said and then they clear that that is like that makes my heart burst I know well <coughs> that's the thing I've started doing now recently like I've recently started seeing someone new at like very 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 early stages mm-hmm. like I've, I've, we've been on three dates Cute. but I really like them so yeah, far yeah, and it's yeah. gone really well and um, I, but I've started making a list of like the things that, that she says that she likes and like so you know just so I know yeah. like if, if we needed like if we if you know if it's her, like her birthday's coming up I can pick something that will actually be meaningful yeah, yeah, yeah. to her because I have I have mental lists for like all of my friends yeah. I have like backed up backed up gifts that I can give them it's such a yeah it's such a cute it's thing a good to little do. cheat sheet you yeah, know yeah it's really good um, so wholesome I love this and yeah it, it's really interesting because even as as you were talking or it might have been even before we turned the mics on but you were talking about uh, might have been Camille or Ali or one yeah, of your friends yeah. like those people while I would not be as good friends uh, as you would with them when I see them in fact I, like I want to make a conscious effort to improve my friendships and I include you in that like yeah. you know when you just like 
because um, I guess you can kind of sniff out people of similar values to yeah, you. Totally, you know what I mean? Totally. You yeah. really can. Like literally, the, the like the three of you. Um, I could l- name loads of other people like this, but I'm like Jesus. Like they like when I see them, like it's so meaningful. Like and the conversation yeah. is so. We're the we're the open hearts club. Like, yeah, we're real. We're all pure empaths. Like super feelings based mm-hmm. and just they're gas as well and they're fucking hilarious never, like I never laugh as much I will never laugh again as much as I do with them like just I don't know there's something about the mix between the three of us we're just gas it's amazing it's and so do you, in terms of the the love language thing is that something can you pick out what you think you might be or how you receive love in, out of those ways yeah I, quality time seems quali- to quality time is definitely one um, affirmations is another one and like I think it's a really Irish thing to sort of reject compliments and and those that kind of love language. But over time, since I've just sort of generally become more confident, I also started looking after my mental health a bit better and trying to work on anxiety and self-doubt. Um, I've become a lot better at kind of receiving those things. Mm. And by extension then, it kind of changes the voice in your head. It changes the outlook of your sort of personal narrative where I catch myself kind of complimenting myself now, which is really nice. Yeah. Whereas usually I'd be like hammering home on the details or the things I didn't get right or the things I could do the next time. Whereas now I just catch that little voice going like, well done, that's good. Yeah, I know. You know, it's lovely. And it's, and it's just from surrounding myself with loving people who say that enough. Mm. Like that's a, another thing about Camille is she's just a really generous, giving, loving person and will tell you she loves you at every opportunity she gets. Mm. And we'll just let you know. And Al's the same. Like, but... They really, they'll really let you know that you're valued. You yeah. know, without making this comfort effort, conscious effort, it's like, oh, I have to let him know that, he, that I, you know, that I like them or whatever. It's just natural. Do you know, it just flows, and it's, it's like that with that kind of whole like broader crew. Do you know what I mean? Like Meg and Kira Smith, mm-hmm. or Meg Healy and Kira Smith, and uh, Amy Dunn and John Morton and Pete McGann. Like it's just, we're all really lovely, sensitive, warm. A lot of us are very insecure people, but th- that's what kind of brought us together. Mm-hmm. And anytime we're at a session, even though they could be mad sessions, the baseline there is always just pure love and yeah. friendship and safety. That's mm-hmm. what they feel like to me is it's a really safe, solid group of people that you can have a laugh with, that you can get bolstered by, you know, that you can get a little ego boost in, in, in a nice, healthy way. But also, and like it's been rare that I've had problems that I need to go to with them, but like I know that anytime something goes wrong, I can pick up the phone and call one of like 25 people who are in that kind of broader circle yeah. and they would drop everything as I would for them they would drop everything and come running mm. you know that's so invaluable I thought I had like I've my really close friends from home and they're super important to me I know them since school but the friends I've made since I've kind of come onto the theatre scene and it's kind of through Camille she invited me to her birthday two years ago and at the time I was like really struggling with anxiety social anxiety and for some reason that night I don't know why but it just switched off and I could have been the little kind of tense, quiet weirdo at that party. But for some reason, I was just like super social, super gregarious. And I just made so many friends that night. I formed a bond with Camille that will you know, never be undone. Like, mm. We're so close. And same with Ali. We, we met properly when I started working in Smock. I, the first time I met Ali properly, I'd seen her around. But I just I came into the box office like, we're going to be friends. Okay. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, here's a weird question for you. What, what, when you, because this is something that maybe I would like to improve on, is when you meet someone and you're like, oh, this is like my person, like these are my people. Yeah. What, like, so that night, right, it would have been very easy for you to go to that party, like, mm-hmm. you know, that switch is flicked off, amazing. You go, you're gregarious, you're fun, all this thing, and you establish these, like, you know, relate, you have a lovely chat with someone, blah, 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 whatever, yeah. whatever that looks like. Yeah. How do you then go and take that to the next level where you're like, they go from being like, you know, like a DMC at a party or whatever or... to being like, like now these are like my best friends. Yeah, I don't know if there's actually like a process there. 
but I've always been a really social person. Um, I started talking really early, so apparently I could have a conversation, a full-blown conversation when I was about one and a half. Oh my God. So I've been like doing talking to people for like 24 years, so like I'm pretty good at it. Do you know what I mean? I'm good at making friends. But with that, I think part of it was the fact that Camille took such a shine to me and just kind of kept inviting me to things. Mm -hmm. I just It was just naturally from being there that I got close to people. Like after that birthday session, which was an absolute rager, uh, I'd gone home to Leaks Up that morning and then slept all day. And then I got a text from Camille saying, we're having like an after thing. Do you want to come? Um, and that's what really kind of solidified it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think... I wouldn't like I wouldn't say like being out is the thing to do because there's a difference between being out to be seen and being out to make friends yeah. and there's, I see people who do both um, but yeah I think it's just a little like it's just a little confidence thing and it's something I, I'm lucky to have naturally that I'm confident socially um, but I think just following up if you, if you know you've bonded with somebody and you, you kind of trust that um, even though it can be a little bit scary to sort of initiate things just you know ask if they want to go for a coffee or if they want to hang out and I think the main thing because we're all in this industry together we're all in the same line of work is I think you need to try and keep it separate from working relationships mm -hmm. um, I always say that I'm never out to make connections I hate the word connections I'm out to make friends and if those friends happen to want to make work with me that's amazing mm. and that's how you, you find the people you want to make work with is through those bonds um, but I think if your intention is and I see this a lot Bison is one of my least favourite places in the world because it's just this hub of anxiety um, everybody's there sort of with their backs up going like who's here who can I talk to who can I tell was great in their show or whatever mm -hmm. it sounds like I'm being a little bit haughty toddy but it's just not my approach yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean I weirdly don't I'd, I would have less confidence approaching someone professionally than I would socially I'd much rather just have a general chat than go over and be like oh I love your work and I, you know I'd, I'd love to work on something sometime like that would make me curl up and die mm -hmm. um, but if I just casually chatted to somebody and do you know it comes around the other way then do you know mm -hmm. what I mean you Present yourself, and partially it's in a slightly selfish way, in a, 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 a deeper level. But my impetus is always just to make friends, mm. get on with people. I just love having the chats. Yeah, yeah, chats are good, man. Chats are good. Let's give it a spin. Here we go. Number where are we? Number sixteen. Do you have not? No, <laughs> Tom. A bit frustrated. It's rigged. Take a breath. All right. Calm down. Suddenly very competitive. Stop throwing shit around the room. John. Okay, listen. Uh, what kind of a teenager were you? Oh, God. So so you hated secondary school? Hated secondary school. Bullied mercilessly <sighs> through primary and secondary school. Uh, it kind of stopped in... didn't stop, but it eased off in transition year because during transition year, I sort of learned how to... That's why I credit transition year with. I learned how to make friends properly mm -hmm. then. Um, and... It was just taking away that sort of rigid structure of school and letting things be more loose and you kind of mix with people a bit better. But I was really badly bullied from, say, like second class in primary school till about fourth year. Um, and it was a mainly in school thing, but then also because I lived so close to school, it was like a community wide thing. I kind of couldn't go anywhere without having someone say something to me. Um, so it was generally a really kind of insecure, unhappy time. And my friend and I were actually only talking about this recently about how the versions of like the life stages that were fed so often don't match up with your actual experience. So people kind of go like, your teens and your early 20s are like the best years of your life. You're gonna have so much fun. It's crazy and it's loose and blah, blah, blah. But I've only come into myself in the last year, two years. So for me, those are my, those are my middle ages, my dark ages. Like those are the, some of the worst times in my life when I felt the lowest. Um, so I was still myself, so I was still like gas and fun and all the rest of it. And when I was comfortable with people, I was able to be myself. But for the most part, it was very kind of tense, tense and unhappy time. 
What um and you know as always if this is not a cool question just stop me but what yeah. did that bullying look like on a day to day because well, yeah. I, it's funny because I'm, I'm I'm actually writing about something similar and that was one of the things I was trying to get into was like okay bullying at school is one thing but when like bullying at school kind of like when it bleeds out bleeds out yeah that like not that bullying at school isn't serious because it's fucking so serious and it's so, so serious. hard yeah but like yeah what did it look like for you. It was just, it was constant kind of verbal abuse. It was just being shouted at on the street, uh, being called fat, being called a faggot, being called gay. Uh, just slagged, slagged about my body shape all the time, about having man boobs. Like, um, it was just really relentless. Yeah. It was it was mainly like the boys that would have been at it, but it just, it spread and it's it became acceptable. Mm-hmm. So people who I would have thought were my friends would kind of turn on me. Do you know what I mean? Or there's one time I was walking home with two lads in my class who I'd gone on quite well with. But somebody started slagging me and then even though we were having a nice chat, they turned on me as well. And mm. They joined in. Um, so it was really hard to it was really hard to trust people. Mm. Um, it was like, I don't know, for, for a while, I kind of felt like, do you know, if you adopt a dog from a shelter, do you know what I mean? You're going to need to sort of assimilate them for a while and they're going to be a little bit angry and aggressive because essentially like, bullying is abuse. Do you know what I mean? Um, and what was really tough, I have a really bad memory of, of being out for a walk with my mom. We were going to the local Super Value and just some lads started started slagging me. I was so embarrassed for her. I know. I, oh, that's the thing. Man. I was I was about I was about ten. I was so embarrassed for her. Yeah. That 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 was happening, um, and I I was so ashamed of the whole thing in general that I didn't really let on to my parents how serious it was. Um, I wasn't able to, and I kind of internalized a lot of it. Um, so it wasn't until I went to therapy the year before last that I kind of got to process that and. I sort of boxed it off because like I'd survived it, Do you know. I'd I'd come out I'd, I'd come out the other side and I felt like a pretty well-rounded person and uh, I was able to look back on it and sort of digest it. But I'd never given it the sort of the weight that it deserved mm-hmm. as a, as a piece of trauma essentially because that's what it is. Yeah, man. I'd, like it's so funny you're talking about this because I, I actually in <laughs> in the middle of what you're saying I was like oh my god because you know I, I was saying about this play that I'm in the middle of yeah, finishing. Yeah. I just finished it and like literally what you're saying is in the play because. It's interesting. I, I was bullied at school as well, and really? for really similar things. Yeah, I would yeah. have been very heavy at school, and right. w- again would have held a lot of shame about it. Like, and still do have a lot of body issues now. Right. And it's so funny because, like, I responded to it. I don't know how you responded to it. Like, my coping mechanism was it to like go and fix it, you know. So right. I, I went to the to the gym and I stopped eating and like developed like an eating mm-hmm. disorder. Absolutely did. And like, it's so funny because now sometimes like so I still like I go to the gym all the time and sometimes I try and catch myself and I'm like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like why are you doing? Because, uh, and it, it's it's really interesting at the moment because you know I've written a couple of plays at this point. This will be my third, and like this one is by far the one like that's closest to the bone. Because literally, like there's almost everything that you listed. It like it's, I'm kind of like unpacking that, and I'm just yeah. very much living through it again more than I ever have before. Yeah. And like sometimes I'll, I'll be you know especially when I go home to Dunboyne, which is where I'm from, only around the corner from like you. Ten minutes drive. Really yeah, bonkers. Uh, and like. I'll see like you know a young boy with like weight on him running and like I just I just want to like hug him because like I was that kid and like you know and I and like you know in in loads of ways I'm like it, I I'm I I like I'm getting closer and closer to like liking myself and liking yeah I was gonna say I hope you know now how handsome and gorgeous you are in general because yeah. that's, that's just a general opinion as well is that like that's the first thing people kind of cop about you right that you're extremely attractive oh, do you know thank you, you well are, yeah. I, I, 
No homo, by the way. <laughs> no homo. Um, but like, yeah, that's really, it's really hard because yeah. like, and it, it, that can be difficult because I I have an intellectual awareness sometimes that like I'm attractive and then, but I don't, I never have identified as an attractive like person. person yeah. I really haven't. Cause, and I know that fucking everyone says that. Yeah. And like, it's that weird thing of like, sometimes, you know, you'll see in like a, a Hollywood movie and we're like, oh, okay. So we're like, we're, we're buying like Mila Kunis as like the beaten down, like soccer mom, like and all this. And then you're like, but like, I bet like Mila Kunis probably doesn't feel attractive all the time no, like yeah. you know what I mean it's that weird thing of like how that's so it's so um, it, it's just really hard sometimes when, when other people's image of you doesn't fit Match your own and yeah. then it's what, what's really hard is like uh, when, when you know because when I was you, it, 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 it's actually so funny how it reversed because I don't know what you felt like when I was you know let's say 15, 16 being called fat I didn't feel fat then Right, and uh, but then someone so else until someone tells yeah, you, yeah, and then someone tells you, oh, you are fat, and then you're like, oh, so what I thought was like perfect for me, yeah. is not. It's less than for you. Do you remember what weight you were at your heaviest? Um, I I definitely remember being like over sixteen stone. I was yeah, I was like eighteen stone at my heaviest. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's so weird because like we have all these constructions of what a an attractive body is, and then a separate of what a fit body is, and then a healthy body, and it's. Like people kind of forget it's like your body's your own mm-hmm. you do it your own way like I've had a massive journey weirdly Grinder helped me towards body self-acceptance mm. so I've experienced horrible fat shaming on Grinder, and because there's this like troll culture where people are removed they can say whatever they want so I've had vile vile things said to me there was something about sending nudes that just made me really comfortable with what I got like I would have always been really I, I haven't really told many people this before, but when I was a teenager, I used to wear, are you familiar with Spanx? Do you know, like control underwear that women wear? Yeah. It's like shape, shaping underwear. For about two and a half years, I wore like nearly full body Spanx and like a, basically what a trans, a trans man would use to like bind their breasts. I wore like a scarf as a breast binder because mm. I was so, so ashamed of my body. Um, and stopping doing that was one big um, step forward. But when I got on Grinder, I suddenly just stopped giving a fuck. I was like, this is what I got. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. It's just a body. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not gym fit. I don't plan to ever really be, be gym fit. I'm not that attracted to gym fit people either. I like people who have a little bit of weight on them. Um, but, yeah, Grinder really helped. Mm. Really, weirdly helped. Sending nudes helped me love my body. That's amazing. Yeah. You see, I've never sent a nude. You've never sent a nude? Never. Never in your life? Never. Not even a dick pic? Nope. Never. I swear to God. Never even wow. taken a picture that I haven't, I've chose not to send. You've never taken a I, nude. Right, even like, maybe this is a sign of like the word, like where I need to go to, but I, like, I would find that very confronting still. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, because I still, I like, like for however, like, and it's weird, like, because I, I do have like an intellectual understanding that like I look well, but I, I can't. I, I can't really accept that. I know it's so, what, what like, the, the toxic part about that, okay, whatever about myself, I can accept, like, that I have work to do and, like, it, it, I, I have a ways to go to love myself that bit more. Yeah. But it also seeps into the way I see other people. So, like, right. I, like, my instinct, like, is to judge other people in their ways. You know what I mean? And I have to catch that. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, like, I don't express that. But, like, if I see someone who's overweight, like, I think it. Yeah. And, I, and, like, or, like, and I will feel, like, pity for them when yeah. they don't need my pity. Yeah. I will feel ashamed for them when they don't need my fucking shame. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I will, like, I have an instinct to want to project all my feelings onto, onto them, them. Especially, like, in, in, in romantic or sexual relationships. Like, like that. and I, I've, I've really improved in that. But, like... I, uh, like one of the things I had to just like admit to myself was like I find like I am like deeply unattracted to to 
fat people. Yeah, yeah. And what that actually means is I'm deeply unattracted to myself, to your old self. or like to how I like view yeah, myself yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. But like, it's a real weird thing to try and just own that and be like, because you kind of can't own it until you acknowledge it and then be like, okay, how do we like reconcile? How do you work this? on that? Yeah, because like, it's think just of an inbuilt prejudice. Like we all have them. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And what's good is that you're conscious of it and yeah. you want to work on it. Because that's another thing about grinder is that I see this all the time and it. It boils my blood. It's going to grind my gears, but that doesn't that doesn't do it justice. <laughs> is there's this thing where people will go at uh, a really common one in the states. Less less so here is no fats, no femmes, no Asians. I will see people saying no black people, no Latino people, Irish only. Like that's not a sexual preference. That's racism. Yeah. That's just racism. Yeah. But it's that weird. It's in, and the same with people not being attracted to bigger people like that's just body shaming yeah. but it's in this weird acceptable lens like I have free speech and I have a preference so I'm allowed to voice that it's like yes you are but not without consequence do you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting like it's like if you don't like, like no one has a problem well like I mean like it, it is problematic but if you like don't like if I'm on Tinder for example right yeah. like if I don't want to you know match with a fat person that's fine I just don't swipe and, yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's okay and that removes that element yeah. because like, I, like I'm like i only gonna like because Tinder's so superficial anyway it's built yeah. on like like Grindr you know like unless someone has like a spectacularly hilarious bio like it's yeah, purely totally. based off superficiality yeah and like, so, many, so many people don't know how to write a bio oh man so many people don't know how to write a bio it's like if you're if you tell me your interests are coffee uh, Netflix like never yeah. never gonna happen I know man yeah. coffee's not an interest it's a beverage <laughs> you know yeah, my bio is very simple I think it's um, I think it's uh, mainly trying to avoid swiping right and one of my cousins anything else oh, is a good. bonus that's good Yeah, it's not yeah. bad it's clever yeah yeah. and then Literally. I leave it then I, I you have don't take yourself too seriously not yeah. too seriously and no. you're not into incest which is good I'm not into incest yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well no judgement yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 only because all my cousins are fat <laughs> And uh, that's not true. I've actually got very attractive cousins. Which, so have I. Which is weird. I've got sexy cousins. Yeah. Then. It's weird to like just, like it was really funny, funny we were talking about this because when we were talking about you doing your first drag show in DCU, yeah. my first um, stand-up show was in Whelan's and anyway. uh, I was pretty nervous doing it. And also, I, I assume drag is like this. Like, obviously, if I'm going on stage, I would never, ever go near alcohol before I go on stage. Same, yeah. But if, but for my first stand-up gig, yeah. like, because, you know, a lot of comedians will drink, I did have, I had two points. Yeah, how'd you find it? Um, Fine. I kind of felt, I felt like I needed it. Like, I, I, it helped to relax me. But weirdly, one of my attractive cousins was in the first row. Yeah. And, like, I just went up there and I, like, literally just called it out. I was like, where are my cousins here for my first ever gig? And, like, I just, I literally talked about how, like, I can't. I can't even remember what I said, but whatever I said, I kind of like said like I have good-looking cousins, and it's weird. Yeah. I completely did not plan to like say this, but just kind of opened with it, and like it, it like absolutely crushed. People just found it so funny, yeah, yeah. and like it was so like it was very like because you know I, one of the things again I knew loads about stand-up comedy before I did it. One of the things people were like you know in your first few jokes like to try be self-aware whether it be, it's about the room or about yourself. Be like try and get get people's like so. I think one of the things I used to say was something about like I look like. Like I look like the kind of people that Mormons would target. Like they're like this guy will convert. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. like that's you, quite you, funny. You, you have what I call a baby Jesus face. Right. You know exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like if I could tap dance, I would definitely be in the cast of the Book of Mormon. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, Let's so, get you some tap lessons. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Let's God, make it happen. God bless you. Yeah. Um, but uh, all this sort of stuff, and yeah, I just remember like naming it because it's so like. And as well, you know, and I think that's why I, I, I really like you and I like people like Camille and Ali. Like, I'm so attracted to self-awareness yeah. in people. Yeah. Like, it's a weird, like, because, um, yeah, it, it is a weird thing to, to, to like, n- know about yourself. But, like, I, I used to, for a while, be like, like, 
someone who's been to therapy, like I would be like, that is a thing I'm attracted to. And I'm like, no, that's not actually what you're attracted to. What you're actually attracted to is someone who's interested in themselves. Self exploration. Yeah. yeah. Like that's what it actually is. But yeah. like it can look like, you know, another thing. Totally. Yeah, I'm fascinated by, I can't stand them, but I'm fascinated by narcissists mm. because they have this ability to sort of, to pull on these like horse blinders. Uh, or maybe it's just kind of naturally built in. I don't really know like psychologically how it works. But it's that, it's like they completely exclude that part of their brain that has that bit of self-awareness and it's just pure ego. And it's so fascinating to me, like they're toxic people to be around. Uh, but I find that so interesting because it's so the opposite of where I'm coming from. And yeah. I assume you're coming from as well, that self-deprecating place. Like we're probably overly self-aware and mm -hmm. could do with a little bit of that kind of that narcissistic self-boost. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I just find, yeah, I find really narcissistic people fascinating. It is, and, and like, on, on the opposite scale of that, like, that level of self-deprecation, because, like what you were saying, on some level, that's not honest for no. me either, because, like, I don't actually think I'm a piece of shit. An awful person, yeah. No, I don't. There like, are times where you might feel like a piece of shit, but it's absolutely. not constant. Yeah, yeah. I, I have that in me to act like a piece of shit, absolutely. Uh, we all do, yeah. We all do, yeah. yeah. And if you don't, like, you probably don't, I will question you, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, but, it, but it's not, like, but it's very comfortable for me to be, in fact, like, literally, just as we were... Before you came in, I was um like I was saying, I'm gonna try get a bit better about the social media thing, which is right. like which sometimes makes me feel like a narcissist, like in trying to you know promote the podcast or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but like at the end of it, it was just a pure moment of like I literally was you know kind of being silly and like showing people with like the bingo machine, and then then I was like, oh god, like I'm like I'm, I'm such a dickhead or I'm so annoying or something like that. And like, do I actually think that? No, but like I I, I think that that's like funny or, or self aware or something. Yeah, and yeah. And it's like oh, that's my brand of humor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? It's that weird like those things that you say to yourself in your head. I always think it's like that's your worst version of what you think other people think of you. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Like Camila's yes. taught Camila's taught me this so many times that like anxiety weirdly and empathy and worrying about people can ultimately become a selfish thing mm. because really you're worrying about somebody else but what you're actually worrying about is their perception of you mm. um, and that's just a, that's a selfish thought that's a kind of a narcissistic thing to do so it's sort of like paradoxically both extremely empathetic and extremely narcissistic at the same time but just really unhealthy behaviour do you know like I find as like a, a caring person a sort of a giving person Camila's really made me she didn't make me but she, the way she talks has made me think about it and kind of check myself and go like am I giving for other people or am I giving for myself? And while I'm giving and giving energy away, do you know what I mean? A, who's really appreciating that? And I have to be more conscious about who I give to and who I'm generous to. Um, and B, what purpose does it serve? Do you know if, because that energy, I'm, I'm really conscious about energy at the moment. It sounds really sort of hippy dippy, mm -hmm. but energy is a finite thing. Do you know what I mean? Social energy, physical energy, it's all finite. So I'm just becoming really conscious because I feel like in the last year I've actually started to live my actual life <laughs> as I should have been my whole life. Like I feel like I've been reborn, really. And it sounds like a big thing to say, but it really feels like that. So I'm just being hyper conscious of where my energy goes and where I'm putting that and the kind of work I'm doing, the kind of people I'm hanging out with. What like the a big thing for me is alone time as well. I don't know about you, but as like a really extroverted person, I need people to survive and I need that social energy. But since I've moved out at home, uh, when I first moved out, I lived with uh, Gavin Quinn from Hand mm. which is bizarre. Yeah. Uh, he's a beautiful house in Fibsburg, but he was away touring all the time. Uh, so I had this gorgeous house all to myself and I kind of didn't know what to do with that at first. Because like say when I'd been in school or college, I'd be at school or college all day and I'd always meet up with friends or have an activity or something in the evening. I'd always be going and doing something. Um, and then when I when I finally had this gorgeous big free gaffe, I kind of didn't know what to do with the personal space and with the free time and kind of what to, just didn't know what to do with it. But it really got me into just having a bit of personal space, having a bit of personal time and just being able to sort of 
digest and filter all of the shit that happens to you in your day and in your life and all the rest of it. I'd never like afforded myself that time before. I'd never valued that. And now I can't, I'm like, a per, I'm like an alone time junkie. Like I need that alone time now. Because mm. um, it's just, it's it's fit into this, it's finally found a place as like a healthy balanced part of my life. Do you know what I mean? Where I, been, I would have been kind of afraid of being alone before. Yeah, like was know? it that thing of when like it, because yeah, alone time is very important for me as well. Mm. And for you, do you think it was a thing of that if you were alone, you didn't have someone else to like, you know, because I think if you're a self-aware person, you know, and not in a dishonest way, but you kind of change depending on who you're with. Completely. You yeah. know, so. I'm just getting cool with that idea that it's it's good and it's okay. Because people have, to, everybody has different needs. Everybody, yeah, it's, I, I always thought it was like a, a two-faced thing because that's, I always hate mixing groups. So like, I find it really uncomfortable bringing, say, a friend from home to a, an actor's party right. um, because I'm a different person to that person than I am to my actor friends. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you feel like it's this Jekyll and Hyde like duality thing but it's actually just how life works because you're different. We all have different social functions for different people. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? With like say, it's like even, you know, some people are kind of talkers, some people are sort of listeners. Mm-hmm. That switches all the time. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like me, Camille and Ali are all really kind of listener people but then when we get together we sort of take turns at being that person. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you're different yeah, you're a different person for everybody. Because like you wouldn't call the sea dishonest because it was like stormy and windy. That's such a good metaphor. It yeah. is, and I just thought of it. And I'm real proud oh of it. Oh my god, that's great. <laughs> but you wouldn't be like the sea's being dishonest today because it's like being stormy. Oh, that's brilliant. And then you know if it's a beautiful day and it's calm, you'd it's be like, still oh, the sea. It's still the sea. Yeah. It's just being like it has to react to what's around it. Yeah, exactly. It has to. Exactly. Right. Let's give it one more spin. Okay. You're too interesting. Stop it. Could do this all day. Um. Okay. Here we go. Number fifty-three. No. Oh, oh well, look at I'm not gonna get hung up on this. Look, we had. Well, I will keep this. I'm gonna keep this as a keepsake. Yeah. Oh, please do. Yeah. Uh, number um, number fifty three. Uh, the question is. Oh, this is kind of a weird one. It's, right. it's a weird question. Some of the questions in this, like, I'm like, is this an okay thing to ask people, especially yeah, after all we've talked about? But yeah. uh, what is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? That list is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. What an amazing thing to say. There's so many things that you've said that I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. Just like, it's kind of a nice, it's probably a nice time to do this episode because it's kind of, it, it feels to me as, you know, someone listening to you, it's like yeah. just, you know, you've undergone like a massive change in the last two years. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to even identify a change when you're in the middle of it. But now you're like, you know, two years into it and uh, you're obviously not like stopping. No, like, you're yeah. going to continue to grow or whatever, but it's real nice. You said like you felt like you've been reborn. Yeah. What a special thing to say. Yeah, it's a special thing to happen as yeah. well. Um, yeah, like how many people does that just not happen to? Yeah, totally, totally. You know? um, something my mom has always said to me is that it's just, she just always reminded me like you have one life. Mm. You can't have regrets. You just have to do things your way and do it the best you can. I couldn't hear that for years because I was so concerned of what other people thought because of the bullying and all the rest of it. I was just so hung up with with other people. And I spent, like you asked me about my teen years, I spent all of that time wishing I was somebody else. Mm. I spent all that time wishing I could change my physical appearance, my personality, my sexuality. Um, and now that I've finally arrived at a place where I'm not just cool, but happy with all that, and I've started to actually love myself, which is nice, mm. um, I really don't have a huge amount of things. They're like little personal things. Like I wish I was a little bit better at timekeeping. I wish I was a bit, uh, I wish I wasn't so messy. Because um, it's, like, it's like that artist's brain. It's like my room is always an absolute rat's nest. Like it's a, a hoarder's nest. It's not like a hoarder's house. It's like there's a nest of hoarders <laughs> living in my room. <laughs> and like every every so often I'll get the impetus and I'll clean it out. But uh, yeah, I wish I was a little bit tidier. Um, but yeah, generally, I wish I, I wish I was better. I wish I had better sleep patterns. Those are things I want to work on. Mm. But that, it's all very personal stuff, do you know? Yeah. When it comes to how I present to the outside world, how other people perceive me, 
I'm pretty cool with it, and a and b none of it really matters anymore. Yeah. Do you know none of that matters? Yeah. So other, other people's RuPaul says this. Other people's opinions are none of your fucking business. Yeah, it's great. None of your business. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. But as someone who experiences you, I'm glad there's not loads because like my yeah. experience of you is lovely. I would not want it to be different. You know yeah, what I mean? Thank you. So um, come here. Thanks so much for doing this. Of course, this is so the, fun. It's so fun on the 28th of December, cutting into your. Into your, into your couple of days off well I know yeah. you're not even really in days off because you're in the middle of producing yeah. Wonderful Nothing But A Toe Rag by exactly. Ashley Lamara so exciting um, so that is on from the 7th to the 12th of January in Smock Alley Theatre at the Boys School uh, it's on the first Fortnight Festival uh, and it does a dark comedy about dealing with your demons uh, directed by Amelia Stewart uh, starring Claire Monnelly and uh, Ash O'Mara a gorgeous design team we have John Gunning on lights and we have Alan Kirk um, doing our set and costume and Rachel Kivlihan who is the best stage manager in town wow. she is amazing um, everybody hire her now uh, and then I'm also working on um, well, I haven't started yet but I will be working on In Our Veins in the Peacock in April brilliant it's very exciting uh, my final plug is I'm doing my first cabaret show as Evoca Reaction I've organised it it's called Evoca's Big Dirty Queer Cabaret Volume 1 King of Kings so it's going to be on the 17th of January at 8pm and drop dead twice on Francis Street it's a tenor on the door and it's to fundraise for my first solo show which is going to be on Scene and Heard which is because of embargoes I can't talk about yet uh, but the night is going to be great crack I've got Ali Fox doing stand up I've got Peter McGann doing uh, Liam Nugent just <laughs> amazing uh, I have some of Ireland's <laughs> top dragging talents I have End of the Night I have uh, Gringo O'Hara who's Tracy Martin who's re- bringing her retired drag king character out of retirement finally I've never seen, her, seen, it, seen Gringo before so I'm really excited um, I've just got a great dra- lineup of drag and live music and it's going to be a great night Liam Nugent did a drag show I'm I so... know I know and I told him like cause, it's weird because like I'm quite a, like by typical definition a PC person and would like the world to move that way. But Liam's comedy, like even Camille, like a lot of that group are really, really un PC. Uh, but I've kind of encouraged Liam to just go full whack. It's, it's like it's an accurate representation of country Ireland. There are that there are Liam Newtons out there, and uh, yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting. I think it's just going to be a really good like jarring sort of place for Liam Newton to be at a drag show. Absolutely, I can't wait. And these these um these workshops. That you're doing. Yes, yes. There so soon? That's on the 8th. So um, we have an artist workshop. It's Taking the Biscuit is, is uh, mine, Ashling O'Mara, and Daniel Gallagher's Theatre Company. Great name. It's a good name. Ash came up with that. Um, and yeah, so it's uh, we want to start doing workshops as sort of just a, as part of com- the company mantra. We want to kind of have a bit of outreach. We want to create a space where actors can kind of skill share and train and make friends, most importantly, because that's really important to me. And it's been really important in my career is, is, are the friends I've made. So we've got a really good lineup. So session one, from 10am uh, is going to be Ash and Danny uh, doing a talk on minding yourself it's called Actors Offstage Minding Yourself and it's how you look after yourself as an actor kind of physically mentally emotionally psychologically um, how to deal with agents how to deal with being a self-employed person uh, and then Amy and I are going to be doing self-producing for dummies as the second part of that session uh, which will hopefully be really valuable because I've had a lot of people ask me can I have a coffee with you and talk about producing because everybody's self-producing now like seen and heard and all that sort of stuff uh, so it'd be great if people could save me the time <laughs> just come to that and then very excitingly the second session is going to be Lee Coffey and Claire Monley uh, doing a writing workshop so writing for theatre finally we have Aaron Monaghan uh, doing a two-hour workshop and it's a design your own workshop basically so Aaron has asked that people who book in give suggestions for what they'd like to work on so you can tailor that to the group so if you'd like to book in uh, you can find us on Facebook uh, it's called uh, it's an artist workshop with Claire Monley Aaron Monaghan and Lee Coffey if you f- google that on Facebook or you can book in um, through my email which is Don Jennehy, which is my name with the J and the D reversed at gmail.com Amazing John Dennehy thanks so much for playing Personality Bingo Thank you for having me Tom Moore. Woo.
So guys, that was the amazing John Dennehy playing Personality Bingo. Uh, I told you it was going to be a cracker and it absolutely was. John, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. You are a gem of a human and it's such a loving, beautiful conversation. And uh, like we're going to talk about on the episode, uh, I'm going to make it my business to make us friends because you're a very special person and I absolutely adored that episode. As I said, guys, uh, in other news, um, yeah, just coming back from New York now this week, uh, which will be great. Got some amazing episodes lined up with the brilliant Kevin Olihan and Sean Carey, uh, both two incredible artists in their own right and um, two great talkers, so I'm really excited uh, to hear their thoughts on life and shit. And uh, yeah, in the middle of uh, writing a new play, I've um, got some TV projects, trying to get over the line, and yeah, didn't want to just get back into doing like whatever, acting is knocking around um, and get back into this way, all the voiceover stuff and kind of just get back like fit and healthy after all the Christmas indulgence coming to New York. It was not the best thing for the waistline, but isn't that all part and parcel of it um, as I said guys we've got some amazing episodes coming up and I'm going to keep you updated about the Patreon page so um, if you do have a few shillings to throw our way it would be unbelievable I was talking to someone about this recently and I was saying how I've started supporting all of my podcasts with just two euro a month which sounds like fuck all but it's the kind of thing that if you like do that for all your podcasts your podcasters suddenly like become millionaires overnight like that's how simple it is and obviously not everyone's in a position to do that but if you are in a position where like 50 cent per week wouldn't break the bank that is actually so meaningful um to myself and artists like me so um that's going to be something we're going to be chatting about over the next few weeks but as always the podcast will be free and nothing's going to change on that front but i'm just trying to make it a little bit more financially sustainable going forward and i hope you guys understand and if you're in a position of support it would honestly mean the world but enough about that please tune in next week for another episode of personality bingo with tom morse Oh